Hey friends, Catlaw Hagquist here with a reminder that locally owned and artist operated bizbooks.net is still your best source for plays, acting books, scene books, teacher resources, and much, much more. And as you, like we, are clearly fans of Sabrina and YVR Screen Scene, we want to offer you 15% off your next purchase with the coupon code SCREENSCENE23. So come check us out at bizbooks.net. Sign up for our newsletter and follow us on social to learn what's new. And if you're in the Vancouver area, watch out for one of our pop-up shops throughout the year to come say hello and shop in person. Remember, Screen Scene 23 promo code is only available at bizbooks.net for a limited time. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart to the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Rani Firminger. I was just out of my teens when Bring It On somersaulted onto the big screens back in the year 2000, and it hit me in that pop culture sweet spot. It's impossible to understate how big of a phenomena it was at the time. The saucy, sarcastic, scheming, and somersaulting cheer squads battling for cheer supremacy at regionals. And it's always regionals. If there's one thing I've learned from teen films of the last 25 years, regionals are a huge ass deal all leading up to that shining moment when the it of the title has been brought and the cheer squads do their thing. Bring it on? Oh, it's already been brought. I was delighted last year when I learned that the Bring It On verse continues to bring it more than two decades after the first film, and that the latest installment would take place in the horror realm and be directed by one of my favorite filmmakers and podcast guests. Karen fucking Lamb, director of Evangeline and the Curse of Willow Song, story editor, screenwriter, knitter of sweaters, owner of cats. Bring it on, cheer or die. God, what a great title. Bring it on, cheer or die, premiered on Sci-Fi last October, just in time for pumpkin spice season. The comedy slasher film takes some of the best qualities of the non-murdery Bring It On films, the quips, the flips, the regionals. But this time, the big bad isn't another squad trying to steal their routines, but a masked assailant who wants to end their lives in increasingly creative ways. The best ways. I watched Bring It On, Cheer or Die with my tween, who is just starting to get into horror, and they absolutely loved it. They love the inventive ways people died, and also how we didn't see too much gore. They thought the young actors were electric, they like being scared and laughing at the same time. And now they're excited to watch even more horror. Bring It On, Cheer or Die is now free on Crave in Canada. So today we'll talk with Karen Lamb, Karen fucking Lamb, about her adventures in the Bring It On verse and the joys and challenges associated with creating gateway horror films for genre newbies. Karen Lamb, bring it on. <laughs> 
<laughs> Welcome back to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. This idea to tell a slasher story in the Bring It On universe, like what was your first reaction to that premise, you know, and why did you want to be involved with it? Oh, it was terrifying. I mean, honestly, I thought they, seriously, I thought they got the wrong person because, you know, I've been doing horror and Canadian on top of it. You know, it's felt like an American franchise. I thought, what are they doing? But um, the producer Griff first called me and he said, no, no, this is this, you're who I want. And I thought, okay. So I interviewed, um, I told them right off the bat, I was like, I have no cheer background whatsoever. And they seemed okay with that. And yeah. I said, but if I do get it, I will bust my butt to learn as much as I can of cheer, like in the, in the time that I've got. And I did. I watched as much as I possibly could. So I wasn't like, I wasn't sure or convinced that I was the right person at all, but it, um, they were all so supportive. They actually were like, yeah, we can, we, we can help you. Tony's here for you. Everybody's here for you. And so yeah. it, it felt like, yeah, there was, support. I mean, you can't read their minds, but I wonder what it is about your work and that they've, what they've seen of your work that were like, that's, that's who we want to tell this story. Did they tell you what it was about your work? Um, they like the, uh, the fact that there's a real visual style to everything. Mm. The thing that they were actually worried about is that there was just very little, what they considered humor, like that sort of funness in, 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 uh, even though a lot of my characters are younger, yeah. like act, like basically Evangeline was like college aged and, um, Curse of Willow's song, like Willow is in her twenties. Right. So I think that I had younger characters, but I didn't seem like a lot of fun. And so I was like, oh my God, well, I don't know how to convince them that I'm not, not fun right and You're so, I, so fun well but i think my films are not that but they're not fun fun you know what i mean and so um the way i i think i tried to convince them was the fact that i you know i so i walked through the first teaser sort of how i was planning to film it with them but i also said that you know i, I know you think that it's going to be really serious but you know igmar bergman did not put pom-poms in Seventh Seal. So I I just like, there's nothing that I can do with cheerleaders to make it all that terribly serious. This is a film that it, pre it was premiered uh, for television, it was premiered on television and it skewed a bit younger. Yes, um, yes. And that, here we're not even talking about uh, actors, we're talking about audience as yes. well. What kind of challenges and also opportunities did that present? You know, that was the biggest, that, that was actually one of the biggest things we started with in the interview itself. I said, um, because the, the script that I got was actually quite graphic. There was a lot of like pretty grisly deaths. And I said, so overall, are we looking at, you know, deadly death or are we looking at fun death? And basically all the executives in unison said fun death. And I was like, all right then, fun death. And again, they really drummed home the PG-13, that yeah. the core audience is um, teen cheer girls often yeah. and you know with with additionals but um that that was where we didn't want to lose the core audience and i thought to myself this is a gateway drug this is my chance to basically you know hopefully corrupt young female viewers yeah, into horror yeah. and so i thought this was a perfect <laughs> opportunity to do that you, I mean, you definitely did. When I told you that I was going to watch watch the film with my kid, like, and you're like, oh, it's like for like a slumber party type thing. Like, we got our snacks. Yeah. Uh, you know, we had licorice rope, but we had some nibs and popcorn, and we sat down and we watched it together. And it was really cool to not just watch the film, but to watch my kid watch the film. And I guess, like, 
I, ha- I haven't heard the term fun death before, but that's totally what it what it was. And that's yeah. definitely how they how they they took it. Um, that was important to me because yeah. I felt like, again, you know, it's really easy, especially with cheerleaders to put it into that sexy adult world of cheerleaders. You know, mm. you've got your size zero blondes that are all taking slow showers and they're getting bludgeoned in their tiny little uniforms. And I- I feel like I've seen that movie so yes. many times. And that was not the film I wanted and it wasn't the film that the studio wanted either. Yeah. That was really important to them. That it was, I, I wanted to bring it into modern cheer. Yeah. And so when I started looking at a lot of the um, Netflix, you know, and YouTube, like just all the stuff that cheerleaders post of their it's own- a whole other world. Exactly. I was looking at Pinterest. I was looking at all of the different, like just even thinking of each of the positions, like what does a base do? What do flyers do? Like, you know, knowing what your cheer squad looks and feels like. You're really um, looking at a a really diverse group of kids. So there's boys, which I didn't expect. There's boys, there's girls, there's LGBTQ. There's like all different sizes. It's like, it's not size zeros. It was like, so when I talked to the studio, they weren't just interested in diversity of, you know, culture, ethnic background and, you know, sexuality, they were also really interested in size diversity. Mm. So we wanted to make sure that it wasn't going to be like, we wanted to see kids of all different sizes and age, like basically abilities and shapes being able to do cheer, which is what cheer was really all about. Yeah. Which is what it looks like in the real, in the real world. Did this film make you in, like, is Karen Lamb now a fan of cheer? (laughs) You know what? I am... Yes, I would actually say that it completely changed wow. how I looked Heard at it. Heard it here first, folks. Sheer fan. <laughs> um, I would say that I was not expecting it to be so athletic. Mm. And so the fact that um, it's not just, it's gymnastics, it's acrobatics, it's dance, it's all of the things. I thought it was pom-poms. Pom-poms are actually very secondary to cheer now. It's yeah. all about the stunts, right? The stunting is huge. And um, apparently they're the, the biggest risk of injury for young women in um in america is actually chair so that's where a lot of accidents happen because you can like any little thing like you know just think about you're getting thrown like 15 feet in the air so we we see it we see it a few times in the film yeah you headed back to the prairies to (laughs) film bring it on cheer or die i will never get sick of saying that title i want to hear about your experience but i want to break it into two parts First, I want to talk. I want to talk about your experience filming on the prairies as a filmmaker, and then I want to hear about your experience taking Sophia and Mateo, your two cats, with you, whose journey I did follow on Insta. I saw them in their in their uh, their second their home away from home in the condo there, because uh, I'm assuming that there are, are were challenges associated with that. But first, your you're, had you filmed on the prairies before? No, I haven't. Like, again, I'm from, like, that was the weirdest thing, too. That was one of the first things that came up in the interview with the studio. They were like, we're filming in Winnipeg. And they, they sort of, I, I guess when you're American, you don't necessarily know that, you know, everyone knows where you're filming. And I yeah. was like, yeah, well, I grew up two hours from Winnipeg. Yeah. So they were shocked already. Um, <laughs> and I remember there was a hilarious moment on, on, um, Because I think that for Winnipeg crews, they get a lot of LA directors, Toronto, Vancouver, you know, Montreal. It's it's weird for them to get one of their own. So Mm. I think that they're used to being treated almost like you know, they, it's not that people treat them badly, but you know, you're in the prairies, and so there's a there's a certain level that you know they you know. I, I remember talking to um, one of my crew, and they said, "Oh, we're not allowed to talk to the P's and D's," and I was like, 
who are the P's and D's? <laughs> I, I didn't, I'd never heard that term. He goes, producers and directors. And I was like, but I'm talking to you now, right? He, he seemed a little bit like off put by the fact that- no, I, I'm disappointed I'm, to to hear that they've had that experience, especially because so like, I mean, people are going to Winnipeg to film all sorts of stuff like, right now. It's a wonderful place to film. Oh, totally. And of course, you know, again, it felt like a homecoming. And I remember um, I was listening to people talking, you know, basically where, I'd shown up and for one, you know, I guess I was one of the first women in basically all of the front, like the franchises never had a female director for one thing. And I think even uh, Universal 1440, when I talked to them, they hadn't, I don't know that they had had another female director in their 200 some films. So there was already that sort of slight, like a, a thing. Huh. So I remember hearing the overhearing um, again, I think it was my line producer um, who was talking to another woman and they're like, well, she's from Brandon. And I remember someone saying, no one comes from Brandon. And I remember piping up and saying, well, I come from Brandon. (laughs) (laughs) But I think they thought like, you know, that's not where a director comes from, really. And I thought that was really interesting to say like, you know, between all of the changes that have happened, you know, above the line, it's like, just seeing, like, I, I even had some um, auditions with my, ca- yeah, my cast, who I'm so happy to, like, they were amazing to work with. But one um, one of my cast members said, I've never, like, auditioned for an Asian woman, you know, basically, like, and I just thought, well, that's really interesting. Like, she just was, yeah. It, how does it feel, like, what does it feel like to be the first for so many of these, of, of these people in the well, industry? I mean, it's, it's a... It's a huge honor for sure, but it's weird because again, I don't know what it's like to be a white guy. So, you know, like yeah. <laughs> there's only so much, like my imagination stretches, like how would it be different if I weren't, weren't me? But just hearing that over and over again, it's like, oh God, I guess there's some pressure in that you just don't want to screw up. That was oh, really gosh. important to me. I've heard that. I mean, from from everybody, from, you know, Rachel Talley to Amanda Tapping, it's like, you screw up, they're not going to have another woman. That was you the know? fear, right? Like, as in, so- It's like you're representing all women and that God, sucks. Yeah. yeah. And so there's a certain pressure to just, again, hopefully not screw up and and also to do right by the, the franchise. And yeah. like, because there's so many forces that are pulling on you. There's like people saying, oh, you know, are you going to bring the Karen Lamb vision? I was like, no, we're part of a franchise. We're actually respecting the franchise itself. Yeah. And so there's all of that as well. And so then, and, and then of course, you're just trying to make sure that you're making your days and you're making your life, like basically everyone's lives better as compared yeah. to like, you know, you had some weird whim that's like, yeah, well, you know, that entire shot list that I had planned, screw that. We're just going to do this, you know, like just, uh, yeah. Wow, so much pressure representing all all women, all women you know, all, women. all all Asian people, everybody from Brandon. Like that's on you. Um, okay, I'm still gonna put a pit in the cats for a second because we're we're talking about the experience of working. What about working with these young actors? You know, it was basically like. You know, there were with a few exceptions, including Missy Pyle, oh who I know from Galaxy. Oh, <laughs> she's awesome. She's uh, so nice, yeah. by the way. She's like just the most down to earth. Because you know, it's funny because I know her characters. I loved her, like basically, especially in Willy Wonka. Like, you oh know, yes, so good. 
<laughs> so every time I see her, she plays that character. And, you know, I wonder sometimes, because I would say that some of the nicest actors I've ever met are the people who play villains, you know? Do I sell and- my Brian Markinson mug? No, I moved it. Anyway, I, I was doing for me before, but he, like, I, that's one of the reasons I love Brian Markinson so much. And I put his face on a mug because he plays the nastiest assholes ever. And he is the sweetest man. And Missy's that nice. Yeah. Like she was oh, just I love so to hear that. nice. Like we were like, it, like maybe... It also helps as a female director being at your lead, like you know, basically your cast fittings, like your your wardrobe fittings, is less creepy than you know. What I mean, if you're mm. gonna, yeah, it's just a little less creepy to be like, yeah, that looks really great on you, as compared to like your. I don't I don't know how guys do it, but I I know that yeah. for us it's a chance to actually hang out and talk a little bit and you know just get to know each other. Oh yeah, and of course clothes, right? Clothes. So oh, for you especially. <laughs> When Karen walked in today, I'm like, okay, so what are you wearing? Like, what of what you're wearing is Karen Lamb original? And can I tell? Can I tell? So she's wearing these incredible trousers, these slacks that were made uh, from Burberry dead stock fabric. I die. I die. Okay. Okay. So so close. Close. Yeah. Close. Close. So it's just nice to be able to have that sort of. Reaction. Oh god, her hat and her glasses at the end. All like I'm like, that's my, oh my god. aesthetic. Yeah. But the but the youngins, because the most of the cast you're dealing with are some very accomplished youngins. Yes. You know, but I mean you had to find I'm assuming it was a bit of a was it a challenge to find, you know, basically triple threats, you know, who could who could uh dance, you know, and do do the cheer stuff and also act their asses off. It was amazing. Yeah. Um, I would say that it was fantastic because it was my first time working with Carmen uh, Kotick, who's out of Winnipeg, yeah. right? So she was the casting director. And so I would say that I... I did not recognize anyone pretty well on the list that she had, which meant that she was... She said she had over 700 basically, um, you know, casting tapes that she went through. And so by the time I got it, you know, like it was my, for one thing, it was the largest cast I've ever dealt with. So we had like a nine person ensemble on top of like, yes, you know, they start, we start killing them off, but even still you start with nine. So even writing and directing scenes that had that many characters was a challenge, just keeping them all separate and knowing who they each were and um, finding them. It was like, I remember having just like spreadsheets of all the, you know, your finalists, basically, you know, it's it's who Carmen's actually picked. And then of those, you're kind of like shuffling around to see like what what a team is supposed to look like. What is that? Yeah. So it was uh, I'm really, really happy that I would say that um, the, the studio really backed me on pretty well they um i think because of sag uh carrie metters and uh uh tiana and um missy were all cast by the studio right but okay pretty well everyone else on the cast um yeah it was almost consensus with me uh and and it was it was really lovely to find them and working with that you know I say this as somebody who, has, and I know that they're older than tweens uh, but i feel like you know i i have a tween um and I, they, I am just constantly astounded, you know, sometimes horrified, but other t- times just amazed and in awe of how these young people, these these zenials, how they how they see the world, you know, like how are th- how are they like, you know, as far as, you know, other generations of actors, you know, that you've dealt with, how do they compare? What did you learn from them? How do they challenge you? Well, the, the most amazing thing was actually cheer camp because I was there every afternoon, which um, apparently no other director showed up on cheer camp for other sh- uh, cheer, like bring it on 
I, I find that kind of interesting because I learned so much. Wouldn't you? But don't you need to plan out your shots and stuff too to know how to film? Like for me, it yeah. was so I didn't know what other people were doing. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I know for me, cheer camp is really important to be there, and yeah. part of it was actually not a, a chance to actually work with all of the cast. So it wasn't just my core nine. There was also the flashback cast as well, yeah. right? So there's that other storyline that's going on. I feel like I was kind of there because I, I watched right through to the end of the credits. So I saw, yeah. you know, some of the behind the scenes from, uh, they, they, I mean, they brought us back, you know, to these, like, you're like dozens of people, you know, doing these cheers in this, it looked like a, an airplane hangar, but it was actually a, a cheer school, right? Yes, it's Vision Cheer in Winnipeg. And um, they actually have a cheer camp. So that was amazing. But kids were coming in from across Canada to audition. Wow. For it. So it was amazing. So I just remember driving up to the cheer auditions and there was a lineup down the gravel road, like all the way around. I was like, oh my God, is this for us? You know, yeah. and they were doing them in groups and I was really lucky to be part of it. So to me, it wasn't just our cast and it wasn't just, you know, even the, the you know, the the teaser cast that was yeah. there, but it was also the entire, all the cheer kids that actually came up. So I was learning a lot and basically being there meant that I could spend time, you know, between their their practices, talking to them. And basically I was, I was eavesdropping a lot and just basically answering questions, <laughs> yeah. but also um, seeing how they interacted and actually going back and working on the script and adding mm. things like, oh, that person does this really well. I can yeah. add this. And so we are shifting, as you could see, like little weird things like um, Sierra Holder, who plays uh, Jackie and uh, Alton Wilmot, who plays Mateo, like did not name by the way. Um, they in real life. Oh my I, god, I just saw that now. Wow. I didn't sorry, name him. you didn't name Mateo the sexy blonde Mateo. Yeah, I wow. did not. But uh, it turned out they because were actually... one of Karen's cats is Mateo. Sorry. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, <laughs> just to clarify. Like, did you name that character after your cat? No, I did not. Mateo and Jackie were my favorites, by That's the way. <laughs> awesome. They're in real life friends. So they went to university yeah. together, and I have oh. no idea. They thought that I had cast them because I knew they were friends. Yeah. We had no idea. So it was like these weird, like just synchronous that wow. were there and so and I think that um three of the actors this was their first film or like I think it's definitely Alton's first film um I think Madison who plays um Sydney that was her first film she's for, she was from Winnipeg wow and so it was really nice to and Rudy who plays Silence too you know basically he's a cheerleader he's a real cheerleader like he's our he's our true ringer and I actually taught him to knit so I was really happy with that too so you know oh. little things little things man wow <laughs> I mean just th throw that throw that bomb in there right at the end <laughs> do you like how did they know you knit like did you bring knitting to set oh, or God. something or yeah, of course there's always going to be knitting no I, it's funny because um in the evenings, just to relax, I was knitting a toque. And I think at some point I gave away, I finished a toque and we gave it to what, like I wanted to gift it to somebody. And yeah. so it was basically a, a prize for someone. So, yeah. yeah. So I, yeah. So one of our, one of our cheerleaders actually won the, the toque. Fantastic. So, yeah. Okay. So I'm going to take the pin out of the cats. No actual cats were harmed in the making of that question. <laughs> um, you took your cats with you to Winnipeg. <laughs> the idea of m displacing cats 
from their routines, from their space, you know, that can, I can imagine that presents all sorts of um, challenges because cats love the routines in their space. But at the same time, your cats, just like my cats, they love you so much, right? Yes. So they need to be with you. So can you give us like, you know, some, uh, some of what you learned about, you know, um, temporarily displacing cats? Okay, so the embarrassing thing for me was the fact that every, like, one of the big studio negotiations was really about my cat transport mm -hmm, because, mm -hmm. and it was embarrassing because, you know, other people might have families, kids, et cetera. I was like, I've got two cats. And so, so much of it was like, how are we going to get there? First and foremost, I was thinking of driving to Winnipeg mm -hmm. because then I could just load the cats up in my car, drive, but there was like insurance issues. And the, the studio was like, you are not driving to Winnipeg with your cats. And so, and because, you know, bless them, uh, the directors fly business class, which meant that I'm only allowed one cat per one person cat. <gasps> unless I put them in the hold underneath no, and you don't know my do. cats and that is not going to happen. And it was also, um, we were in a heat wave. I was not putting my cats yeah. under in the carrier thing in a heat wave. So we're already like, again, blisteringly, I think it was 30 some degrees. And I was like, okay, that, that can't happen. So it meant that I had to book for a friend to come and be basically a cat handler for the other cat that I could sit together with in business class. So we were sitting in like, yeah. So on each way I had a friend going uh, with me to basically be a cat handler. And yeah. I was really thoroughly embarrassed about the whole thing. But I yes. am so happy that you did that so that you could come and tell that story on this, uh, on this oh podcast. Oh my God. How did they take, how did they get, how did the cats take to their new space? Like, were they, were they cool with it right away? Did they pee on everything? They peed on nothing, but um, we had nice. a two bedroom and, and it was way too big for all of us. Yeah. And so one of the things I learned was that um, cats, because mine are, they're bush dwellers. So they like being underneath things. Mm -hmm. The key is to block off anything where they can be underneath because yeah. you want them to be confident. So I had to close off all these like basically doors and keep them in the main place until they got used to it. Yeah. So I think they adapted all right, but they, we were on a, um, the, the condo was basically overlooking a courtyard where all the other condo people would gather. Yeah. And my cats would basically sit there and <laughs> stare at the people who were there. And I remember one day the window was open. I was working on the script and I could hear the, like they were behind and watching these people. And I heard these voices going, there's two cats haven't moved in an hour. <laughs> and then this other voice said, it kind of freaking me out. <laughs> Yeah, those are my. Yeah, babies. you must have been so proud, <laughs> so proud. That's my Wednesday in Pugsley. You know what I mean? Like I, I see them as the. I'm so proud of you. Yeah, I'm so proud of them. <laughs> Freaking people yeah. as they just stared, and because they're twins, like they're twin tuxedos, they literally didn't move and just stared at these people for an hour. And apparently, it freaked people out enough. They're like, yeah, I'm not comfortable with those two. <laughs> That is, I mean, that is so on brand. Ooh. I I absolutely, I love that. And I, I will say to listeners, if you're on Instagram, follow, um, follow Karen's cats. They're a great follow. And all of the, all of the photos are taken from their perspective because it's their Instagram account. Yeah. I, it was a stupid <laughs> exercise that I started eight years ago. And unfortunately I'm now stuck with it. So it is actually Mateo's account. And so it's from his perspective, I'm the human and I photobomb them every so often. Uh, and so that's all I'm allowed to do. Otherwise it's theirs. And yeah. 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 My cats recently started uh, their own account. I follow me. Um, I follow as you. well. Okay, good. <laughs> Currently run by the shorty, uh, you know, but I, I think once they hear about your narrative, um, that, that perspective, it's 
it's gonna change. It's game changer. It's it, it's it's weird, actually. I, yeah. I I realize that. And at this point, it's like, do wait, I it's weird. You're weird. No, I love it. It's great. It's a strange thing. And in my head, I'm like, should I start my own account? But it's too late now. Like I feel like, yeah, you're already you're already that crazy cat lady. Just just lean into it. It's cool. Oh, it's good. <laughs> Um, well, I love that one of the things in the film that that happens to increase the danger uh, is that I don't think this is a big spoiler, but early on in the film, everyone relinquishes their phones in order to focus on cheers. And obviously something bad happens to the phones. And then they, when kids are dying, the other kids can call for help. I'm just wondering for you in the horror sphere, our, and especially because we came up at around the same time watching the same kind of films. Like, you know, if, if Adventures in Babysitting, if people had had cell phones, the movie would have been three minutes long, right? You know, are cell phones like a help or a hindrance, you know, as a horror filmmaker? I think all of the new technology is a hindrance to me, unless you're actually going to lean into it. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, unless you're actually going to make a fo- like a, a horror film about social media or, yeah. or that. But it can be so distracting. And I, um, and because this is kind of a throwback to, I wanted to put as many Easter eggs as I could for 80s. so many Easter yes. eggs. Yeah. Easter eggs. And it's like, it's basically like a whole, uh, like if if I if I were, I could basically do a director's commentary of what every scene and every every reference actually is probably which I will not do but you know it's it's there so I think that that was a big part of it which is getting rid of anything that could basically just make it so much simpler so yeah no I I I loved that yeah now this is a pure speculation type question but if you could tell a horror story in another non horror franchise. Where would you tell it? Oh, you know what? I would love to do the horror footloose, but that's me. <laughs> the horror footloose. I love so that. it'd be telling that story uh, about a test. So for, for the youngins there, if you haven't seen the film, although my kid is all up on all the 80s films. They have the new to... footloose, but yeah. I want the old original Kevin yeah, Bacon. Where footloose. they're like, no one can dance. Like they outlaw dancing in the town and then he brings the dancing back. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe the dancing actually brings in demons, you know, like I just thought it could, it could you know, it's a thing. To bring in the demons. Wow. <laughs> I love how your brain, your brain works. Um, this kind of goes in nicely to because I mentioned my kid. This is another question about my kid. And honestly, I wish I had my kid here to talk with you today. <laughs> but even if they had been here, they hate being in the same room as that Ghost Wars prop. <gasps> <laughs> I, I know that you're like, you probably think it's cute and stuff. It's so lifelike. Not that I've ever seen anything that looks like that in life. But Thank God. You it know looks what? so it, alive. It actually, I wonder if it actually looks like a tapeworm. It's got a tapeworm-y sort <clears throat> of vibe to it. And yeah. it feels like, you know those stress balls? That's what it feels like. Yeah. A stress ball. Yeah, you've absolutely been uh, working your stress out on it during this uh, <laughs> during this interview. But anyway, my kid has just started, you know, to watch horror films and to enjoy being afraid. What what are some kind of you know recommendations or tips or anything you know that you could give to to kids like my kid, or you know, they don't necessarily have to be kids, you know, but people who are like, oh, maybe like. Maybe I'm going to start getting into watching more horror. Like, do you have any recommendations about what they should watch or, you know, like what's the starter kit? Oh my God. You know, I started so young, so it's hard to say because I, I, I know I was a big horror fan as a kid. So there was everything from, and it was also the age of, um, videos, right? So of course going to the local video store and because, you know, the, the way to watch 
horror for us when we were growing up was that in some weird way, blood and guts was fine, at least for my parents. Blood mm -hmm. and guts were fine. Sex was not. Yeah. So it was basically like this was your way to, to your your gateway into everything, and they were fine with with pretty well renting me anything if it was it was horror because it wasn't sexy. <laughs> so little did they know we grew up in such a weird time. I know. It's like, so I I remember watching things like Poltergeist and yeah. uh, Amityville Horror, like all that like eighties nineties horror yeah. was very much, uh, and that's what um, Bring It On was for me was yeah. trying to bring back to like Gremlins for example. Oh my God, that's a start like. I, make a reference to yeah, gremlins yeah. in it but gremlins was a big thing you know you had the, like a mogwai right he's cute yeah. and all of a sudden he's like little creatures that are doing terrible things yeah. yeah there was like goonies there was like all these like to me all these fun horror from from the 80s and yeah. so um and it's funny because i remember how terrified we were by nightmare on elm street you know rachel's film and mm -hmm. i just thought to myself that was something that we all dared each other to watch you know and like oh my god are you gonna watch this thing and when you look back at it it's not that it wasn't like there wasn't gore, but it wasn't, um, I'd say that it got to a point where it was a lot more torture and a lot like darker and grimmer. Mm. But the 80s and 90s horror, if you look at a lot of them, they're just fun, right? Fun death. Fun death, yeah, exactly. Like, and you had some fun death in Bring It On, Cheer or Die. That was something yeah. that we really had to work at because, uh, so the two, like, circling back to your question about what, um, what are the challenges and what are the opportunities? If you don't have really gory death, you can't have really horrific characters. Meaning, mm. if they were all like doing the usual sniping at each other and doing like the the cheerleader sort of, you know, like you know, pitting each other against each other then you're going to hope for them to die. So mm. I really wanted to bring them together as sort of like my reference for it is the bad news bears. So I really, really huh. wanted to bring it together as a team. Like they, the Diablos as a team are not, you know, it's not that they're not talented. They're very underfunded. They're under-respected. You know, yeah. there's a lot of things about them that are, you know, they, they were kind of underdogs. So I wanted to make sure that they still felt like a cheer team. When I was watching um, Netflix cheer and when I was looking at a lot of the cheer stuff, when you think of cheerleading, it is not a showboating sort of thing, although it mm -hmm. is. You're there to support a sporting event. Yeah. You are doing your best, but really you're there to support the football game, whatever yeah. is happening. You're the halftime show. You're the, yeah. you know, basically. Unless it's regionals. Unless it's regionals. Exactly. <laughs> regionals is a big deal. But a lot of that personality is like, I remember reading um, one of the Pinterest uh, things and say you're uh, one of the girls who's not going to be um, flying. Like you're not like a stunter. Base, you know, and the idea, I remember seeing a poster that said, you know, cheerleaders uh, base, basically, because some people are like, oh, you're just lifting other cheerleaders. Like that's not as glamorous. It said, you know, the base basically is uh, a cheer, an athlete holding up another athlete hmm. was something that was really important to them, that they saw cheer as a sport unto itself. Hmm. And so I wanted to, and what I noticed in the behind the scenes cheer stuff is that they're so supportive of each other, even when they didn't get called, like, say you're not part of the main squad and you're, you know, you're a backup and you're yeah. not called onto the mat. They're still cheering for each other. Yeah. So I wanted to make sure that that spirit was all the way through the film as compared to just killing them off in grisly ways. And they're all like arguing about split ends or whatever it is that, you know, people can do or, you know, no, no jokes about body shaming, you know, all of that sort of stuff. But really that sort of fun, like, you know, you can make fun of each other for various reasons. Yeah. But that it would just kind of turn around in that way. And another reference um, movie that I had was Booksmart 
because I love that movie so much. Huh. And I really love the idea that every one of those characters, when you look back at the film, had a real arc. And then mm. who they were stereotyped as being wasn't actually who they were. And I yeah. wanted to really play with that in, in, in this as well, that everyone really, like you could look back at the entire, you know, like basically you could watch the film on repeat and still see, oh my God, that person, I really like them because of this. And so, yeah, I just wanted to like everybody. Fantastic. Of of all the characters then in the, that are in the film, those different um, archetypes, you know, but with the, but with the twist, mm. with nuance, um, which one do you identify most with? You know, I put a lot of myself in Abby, I would yeah. say, because- That's I, the, uh, the final girl. Yeah, it's our final girl. And it's our cheerleader captain, eventually, co-captain. Co-captain. Co-captain co Abby. Don't because, forget about Michaela. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Michaela's the real, like, she's the real captain. Yeah. And Abby is totally cool with co-captain. And I think that was my career for a long time, too. As a producer, I started off as a producer. Yeah. And I truly always felt like I'm really here to support the film. I'm here to support the project. I'm here to support the series, whatever it is. I never wanted to necessarily be the person making the decisions. And so it felt like I was trying to recapture my own journey as to what does it feel to actually lead someone? And so mm. her, and it was funny because, you know, just the awkwardness, I still feel awkward, you know, like on, on set, it's like, oh God, I have to make a speech? Hopefully not, you know, it's like, yeah. If I no, can... you have to, you gotta represent Brandon, okay? Brandon, but you know, just quietly. I'm just gonna, I'll be at the craft service <laughs> table, just uh, come see me, you know, like it's, it's. Uh, yeah, I've just never been really comfortable with the bullhorn and being up, up front in that sort of way. Like, uh, again, I like helping to make the decisions. I'm here to support, again, I'm still in that, here to support the team, not here to be basically like, my vision is, it's, it's it, it always felt a little gross in yeah. that way. But you like gross. I like gross, yeah. but not gross and gross, gross, you know? Yeah, it's oh like, no, not yeah. gross, gross. Yeah. Like, here's my ego and here's my moment. Like, that That feels a little, that's gross in a different way. Yeah, that's yeah. the kind of gross that we don't want to see. Although you want to see it in a show like Succession, you just don't want to, you know. I don't want to live it. You don't want to live it. I no. hear it. Yeah. I hear it. And so Abby was basically my journey toward basically being a director. And so it was funny because I would talk to Carrie in between. She's like, yeah, I'm just studying you. And I was like, great. All the awkward that you're pulling is me. <laughs> so. oh fantastic karen lamb thank you for being here today where can people find you and follow you and your cats on social media okay so the embarrassing thing is that if you're into textiles and cats i am at um mateo underscore sophia underscore on instagram i am trying to decommission my twitter for various reasons so i'm opiate pics there yeah. and uh yeah so basically and you can uh I, I haven't, I, I need to update my, my website. It's karenlamfilms.com, but that's where you can usually get a hold of me as well. So, okay. And bring it on, cheer or die or die is now available on all streaming platforms, including in Canada on Crave. That covers it, right? Yeah. Did I brought it? You brought it. Yeah. It's already been brought. Or in the parody, it was like, it's already been Rotten. <laughs> you need to do spirit fingers. Spirit fingers. <laughs> All right, listeners, thank you so much for spending this time with us today. You can find us at www.yvrscreenscene.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at Scene, And on Twitter and Mastodon, because that's where all the cool kids are heading, at Sabrinarmph. I don't know if they're heading there, but, you know, I'm assuming that Twitter is kind of going down in flames. So we have a lot of options if people want to 
stay up to date on what's going on here, you know? Got to yeah. find ways of reaching out. I think so. What's the what's the phrase that we're supposed to use to the unscheduled? Um, what do they call it? Disassembly today. The, the the SpaceX blew up, right? I saw that. Yeah, and yeah. the phrase that they used was unscheduled, spontaneous, like disassembly or disassembly. something. Disassembly. Yeah. That's that what I'm going to say for explosion next time. Amazing. Well, we've been watching Musk kind of do a slow motion disassembly of many things in real time. And, you know, and anyway, I will post about all of that on the Mastodon at Sabrina. The Wyvare Screen Scene Podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Ronimera Furminger, and it's edited by Simon Furminger. Special thanks to Mariana Furminger for recording our Patreon ad, to Paul Furminger for technical support, and to Dane, not Furminger Devile for the original music. But you know what, Dane? You're a Furminger to me. Wyvare Screen Scene is a division of Fish Light Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut! Yeah, it's already been brought. Hi friends, Kat Lawhequist here, and I'm excited to introduce you to thedramaclass.com. Thedramaclass.com provides online workshops and classes designed to provide inspiration and instruction in the sometimes overlooked areas you need to be successful in your acting career. Things that they don't often cover in studio classes. Things like tax prep for actors, the power of costume in getting a job, what to do if you primarily work on camera and find yourself with a voiceover audition, what you can do to adjust your performance to the camera lenses being used, and so much more. Maximize your opportunities by filling in the gaps that will make your craft your career. Visit us at thedramaclass.com, sign up for our newsletter, follow us on social, and explore what will take you to the next level.